Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey to start things off this afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. You've heard me say that a bunch, not just in the recent weeks and months, but for years now. The website ought to be kind of drilled into your head, but maybe you still ask the question, yeah, but, but why Mississippi Land Bank? Well, Mississippi Land Bank, if you've got land financing needs, maybe you're going to buy a piece of property, maybe you're building a dream home, maybe it's a cabin, maybe it's a shop, maybe you're buying a piece of equipment for land that you've already got, maybe you're a farmer with needs related to the land. All of those things, well, they're all things that Mississippi Land Bank can help you with. They've been financing land and all that goes with it for over a 100 years. You can find a branch location in North Mississippi near you. You can see those on the website at mslandbank.com where they know the lay of the land. Weekend just around the corner, that means division round of the NFL playoffs and a whole lot of college basketball on the docket. So that is all coming up tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday. But first, we'll do a little review, a little review of last night. Michael Borky, what's up? Not a whole lot on a Thursday afternoon, I guess. Yeah, just rocking along. Um there was plenty going on last night at the Pavilion. Spent a lot of time kind of leading up to last night's game against Auburn for Ole Miss, talking about, yeah, what if? Well, this Ole Miss team's played pretty well. What are they going to look like against a, uh, a top-ten team, uh, an Auburn team that's really athletic in the backcourt, that had a size advantage in the front court? What kind of crowd was going to show up? School's not back in session at Ole Miss. A lot of those questions were answered last night. Rippy, you got to the game early, maybe just a little bit after 5 o'clock, and it was way before tip-off when the students had kind of filled in their section down low and really kind of kind of carried the load for what turned into a really good atmosphere last night. Yeah, and without a full complement of students on campus, I mean, winter session's going on, but the you know actual spring semester doesn't start for – another week and a half so yeah it was a good crowd and then you know they were energetic and into it for most of the game I and mean, for all of the game actually and and i thought it was a good crowd it was felt like the kind of the i wrote this last night but it, the first signature moment in that building first win over a ranked team since 2015 first win against a top 11 team i think it was since 2013 if you want to take it back a little farther take me take me just a little bit deeper on first signature win in the pavilion well, I mean, other than the first two nights that place was open against Alabama and Georgia, I believe, and then that one game against Georgia Tech and the NIT, it, it had never been that full like it was last night, and certainly not that 
energetic and lively for the entirety of the game. And so, you know, they built the building and they hadn't had a whole lot significant happen in it. I mean, they hadn't beaten very many good teams in there, not a lot of great crowds. And then, you know, it all kind of came together at once last night. You had a good crowd, you had a top 11 team, and the team led wire to wire and won. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because when you think about a building, um, an arena, usually there are specific games that kind of stand out in your mind, like over a long period of time. Um, as bad as Tad Smith Coliseum was, that's the place I grew up watching basketball games. And so I vividly remember, vividly remember Ole Miss beating Arkansas in January of 1995. It was the year after they had won the national championship. They lost the season opener to UMass and then ripped off like 12 or 14 in a row coming in to start SEC play. And it was a crowd of like 6,000 or so. And at that time, that was really uncommon for that building. But that's a win that Ole Miss had that that stands out in my mind. That's when Arkansas had Scotty Thurman and, and that whole crew. And then you can kind of think back through some other games. There was a, there was a win against Temple. Um where Ole Miss played them on a Saturday night. They had lost to Temple the year before in the NCAA tournament, had them coming into Oxford. I think he played Georgia in football earlier that day. place was just packed to the gills and just boat race Temple that night. And a couple of wins against Kentucky along the way that stand out. But, but you think about that, there are certain games in buildings that stand out, but sometimes it takes a while to get those games that really you remember. If you were there for the first time Ole Miss played in the pavilion, maybe you remember that game. The NIT game against Georgia Tech, that's a good point. That was a loss, right? And the NIT doesn't have real significance. It doesn't. No one would have remembered if they had won five years later, something like that. So Nobody would have remembered if they won a year later. I mean, this is the first time since that 2013 season you guys mentioned that Ole Miss had a national buzz in basketball at all. I know they went to the tournament a little bit later. That that team and, and that year did not do what they received last night since they won the SEC and beat Wisconsin in 2013. You had every national basketball pundit and publication talking about Ole Miss basketball for the first time since 2013. Yes, and I actually stayed up late last night. When I got home, got the kids to bed, was doing some work, sitting in my office, uh, watched some other basketball, went back and watched the first half of the game last night. I, I missed the first you know, 10 minutes or so of the game trying to get there and, and get in. Kids and concession stand runs and all that, so I kind of wanted to see how it started. And then after that was over, I started flipping around, and you know, SEC Network was doing its stuff, but CBS Sports Network does an, uh, a show called Inside College Basketball. And that's with um, Gary Parish and John Rothstein and uh, Haywood, former player. Brendan Haywood? Brendan Haywood, and uh, the host is Adam Zucker. And that was the second game. So, so the, it, the show aired, and I, and I missed the highlights, and then it turned around and aired again, and it was the second game that was featured. Now, it was the second game that was featured because Auburn was the number 10-ranked team in the country. That, that's the reason that it got the billing. But you got Ole Miss basketball there, and it's relevant, and it's not like just they show highlights and move on. They begin to talk about it. Gary Parrish, National College basketball writer at CBS Sports, daily puts out a top 25 plus one. His little gimmick, he does the top 26. And he's got Ole Miss now at 26 after their win last night. 
What do you believe about this team at this point? They play hard. They're really good in the backcourt. They're getting good enough post-play to have a chance to win games and kind of, I guess, be physical enough. Because, I mean, Auburn came into that game leading the SEC in offensive rebounding, top five team in total rebounding, and Ole Miss beat them on the glass. Auburn ended up beating them on the offensive glass, I think, 16-13, to 13, but Ole Miss led for most of the game. A couple of those came at the end. And they don't have a ton of depth. So that is what I would know to be true about them right now. Okay, so that's what you believe to be true about this team. But what if you take a, a little bit wider range look and you start talking about, okay, what's possible for this Ole Miss team? Uh, what are the possibilities right now? Sitting at 12-2, and off to a 2-0 and start, including a road win in SEC play, but keeping in mind that it's a really small sample size. This is one-ninth of the SEC season. Yeah, I mean if they stay healthy, they'll have a I mean I I think they'll have a pretty good chance to be right there in the in the thick of the NCAA tournament conversation leading right up to selection Sunday. I mean, I it would have sounded crazy a couple weeks ago, but they have a decent shot to win 9 or 10 games in the league now. And so So you've gotten to the point where you're kind of adjusting, you know, you've looked at them and said, "Yeah, they can win 6, 7, 8 games in SEC play, but you've now seen enough that you think that's more like 9, 10, 11?" Possibly. I don't know anything about that that I don't know about that being a definite thing at this point with 16 games left, but yeah, I think it's certainly possible. I wouldn't have said it would have been realistically possible 2 weeks ago. What's the biggest difference? They're, I mean, I mean, like honestly, it's just that they started off two and zero, winning a road game, and then beating a team you probably didn't think they were yeah, going to beat. Well, no, and I guess what I'm, I don't mean mathematically, what's the biggest difference? I mean, what is it that has allowed Ole Miss to jump out to a two and zero start and be in a position where there are a bunch of games when you look at their schedule, you go, they can win that game. I mean, I guess, would I be crazy if I said part of it is the play of Dominic Olenicek for the first two SEC games? No, definitely not. He was good last night, and he was good for most of the Vanderbilt game. And that was kind of the one question going into the year with this team is, and, and really, especially entering SEC play, would they be would they get good enough post play to have a chance? And he's, you know, it hasn't always been perfect. He looks sometimes a little lost on the offensive end because of these smaller, quicker athletes. Like looks a little slower, but he's been good enough defensively and, and good enough on the glass that yeah, I mean certainly he's he's given them a chance to, to win some of these games. We're gonna get Borky's impressions on what he saw last night, watching it from a different vantage point from a, a television in his house. We'll take a look at some of the numbers from last night's win for Ole Miss. 82-67. Didn't just win it, won it going away. How did they do it? And, and kind of what was the not just what was the blueprint, but how did it unfold as the game went along last night? We'll get to that coming up next. You want to text the show? You can do so. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. It's the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer inspired. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming at supertalk.fm, Thursday afternoon. Hey, Dad, we'll be along a little bit later today on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll spend the second half of the show with him. We're going to continue to talk some basketball for right now. A little bit later, Ryan Stancheck is going to join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. You might say, who is Ryan Stancheck? 
former offensive lineman at West Virginia who played under Rich Rodriguez and is now the offensive coordinator at Alcorn State. Did I get that right? Yep. There you go. So we'll get a little little perspective on what it was like playing in a Rich Rodriguez offense and what Ole Miss fans might expect uh, from that offense moving forward from a guy that played under Ryan, uh, under Rich Rod uh, in his time there. Luke Johnson will join us in the 5 o'clock hour this afternoon on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll talk a little Southern Miss baseball just around the corner. Five weeks from tomorrow! Can we get a... Uh, can we get a 35-day forecast? Does it extend out that far? When Probably you go, be cold. When you go out, no, not usually for opening day. It's usually the second weekend that's cold. Opening day's been pretty kind in recent years. Is that scientific? Go back and pull up box scores at the weather report from opening day for the last five or six years. I think you'll find more times than not it's been pretty good. Maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe it is the second weekend. I just remember February being cold. Oh, yeah. The majority of February is cold. Borky, am I crazy on that? I think last year the forecast was good and then it changed and it ended up being like mid-50s and cloudy. It's either two years ago or three years ago, though, where it was like mid-70s at first pitch on opening day. You guys know I, I live three hours away from every college town in the state, right? Like, I don't remember opening day weather because I wasn't there. Yes, but we talk ad nauseum about these things yeah, on the radio, and you that. have been here. Hi- hyperbole much? You don't live three hours from any college town in Mississippi. I'm, t- I'm two from Starfield, 215 from, from Oxford, hour 40 from Hattiesburg. Well, okay, so if you add two of those together, then maybe you get three hours from a college town. You're splitting hairs on the larger point, which is I don't get to cover the teams like you guys do. Okay. I'm just telling you, there's been some good weather for opening day in recent years. That's great. Maybe it just happened once or twice, and those are the ones that stand out in my mind because those are the ones I want to stand out. The weather's always the same in the living room. No, I thought you were going to say in that studio. <laughs> oh, no. It it varies depending on this computer sitting next to me, the, the live stream computer. There are days where this thing will just churn, and you can hear it sometimes through the microphone even, and it makes the temperature in here like 85 degrees. Today is one of those days where I'm fortunate, and it's not overworking, but sometimes this little computer, this little live stream computer thing next to me, just pumps hot air in this this little corner studio that I'm in. And on all 300 working days of the year, Michael Borky has his fleece vest on, and occasionally he considers taking his fleece vest off Big based vest on guy. the performance of that computer. Oh. All right. Yes, you can tell I'm excited about baseball when, just as an aside, I mention baseball, and it turns into five minutes about the weather on opening day. This says 44 degrees on opening day last year in Oxford. Yeah, that's not how I remember it. So I will take your word for it. I mean, I I couldn't have told you what the weather was exactly. (laughs) I just remember generally it's pretty cold. 
And some for some reason on the field in Swayze, fifteen degrees colder. Oh, uh, it's than colder. That. It's the coldest place in all no of Fayette County. I don't get it. No question. All right, what about the numbers from last night's game for Ole Miss? The win. Rebels led in scoring by Terrence Davis, first double double of the season, twenty seven points and twelve rebounds. Uh, also had a couple of assists and a steal and a block. He turned it over twice. Maybe most importantly, only committed two fouls, which led to him playing 38 minutes in the ballgame. Ole Miss got 16 points off the bench from K.J. Buffin in 23 minutes of play, including eight made free throws. There were four Ole Miss players in double figures. Devontae Shuler had 14 points. A couple of those buckets were really big, really timely makes uh, for him, including a three from the top of the key straight on in the second half. 11 points for Dominic Olenichak last night. He made only one shot. He took only two shots in the game. He was one of two, but nine of 12 from the free throw line. A stat line for Dominic Olenicek that goes 11 points, seven rebounds, two assists, and a steal is a stat line that is going to allow Ole Miss to win some basketball games. I, I just I don't think there's any debating that. Uh, unless it's a night where the guards just can't throw it in the ocean. And I guess that possibility does exist. Um. That that's a number or a stat line that really helps you. Yeah, I mean that's kind of his role. I mean he's a rim protector. He's he's efficient with the few shots that he takes. Like he doesn't take very many shots per game, but he usually shoots a decent percentage. They think he is four of six at Vanderbilt, one of two, like you said last night. Defends okay and and grabs some rebounds. So if they can get that kind of efficiency out of him, and he's good on defensively in terms of hedging ball screens and other things like that because he's so big. But yeah, I mean, if he plays at that, like I thought the game at Vanderbilt and last night were kind of around the, maybe last night was a little above given some of the other things did, but kind of around the benchmark of what they need from him to kind of have a chance in most games. Efficiency is not a word that you would use to describe Brian Tyree's game last night. Played 35 minutes, he had five points on one of 10 shooting. He was three of six from the free throw line. He had five rebounds, two assists, but six turnovers in the game. And this is on the heels of a 31-point performance against uh, Vanderbilt, a new career high, in which he earned SEC Player of the Week honors. Kermit Davis said after the game he tried to get 31 points in the first half. That, and they were really keying on him. I mean, they they were the guy guarding him, of course, had no help responsibilities. He was doubled every time he touched the ball, particularly early in the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think he tried to force it a little bit, but he's an aggressive player and they run a lot of offense for him. And so, you know, last night, not ideal. You obviously don't want to go one of 10. He did kind of force some things, particularly in the first, I would say, 15 minutes of the game, but they were able to survive it. One stat that I was making sure I got this right, but Dom led the team in plus minus last night at plus 21, which was pretty telling. Yeah. They don't put that anywhere. Where Is that on stat broadcast where you can get that? Yes. Okay. Um, crowd last night, 8,241. So 8,000-ish 8, in the building. It's about, what, 1,000, 1,500 shy of a sellout. I think the pavilion seats 9,500. Um, like midsections of the upper deck were mostly full. The corners were kind of empty in all four corners. Lower bowl was basically full. And last night was one of those rare nights where um, the, the people in the seats behind the benches were overwhelmingly there and in their seat and kind of into the game. Yeah, you know, people complain about that because it's that's where the camera shoots into. It's a terrible setup, by the way. The the fact that, well, I I I don't know if we got to go down that road or not. 
But you certainly see the complaint a lot. There's no reason in the world that when they were putting the layout together for that building, they could not have put the cameras where they were going to be shooting into the student section. Now, what the, what you will be told is, no, television asks us to shoot the cameras into the benches because it's easier to get coaches. Well, you say, with all due respect, television, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to give you a better shot for the majority of the game, and you're just going to have to use either handheld cameras or different camera positions to shoot the coaches. You know, the way they do at Duke and the way they do at LSU and the way they do at about 15 or 50 other schools across the country. Yes, television would prefer the cameras to be where they are, but that doesn't mean you have to do it. Are you being a turncoat here, TV guy? Going against the TV people? No, I'm going against the decision to put the cameras where they are. It's a really bad decision. You should be shooting into the student section because that's the part of the floor that's consistently full and it looks better on TV. There's no reason not to make that adjustment either. I tend to agree, but what you were saying a second ago, how many schools do that to where they don't show the benches because the angle is better? You mentioned a couple of them. Duke and LSU are two that immediately come to mind. Auburn as well. Auburn's the same way. Auburn shoots into the... And and look, I mean, no, it's a little less convenient for the TV people. Get over it. Get over it, TV people. Don't don't complain. Your, 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 plight, uh, your plight in life is not affected by where camera one and camera two are located. You shoot the game just the same. Just saying. Anyway, there are a lot of people that were talking about that and not liking the fact that you can't see the students and the great crowd that they had last night. Almost never trailed against Auburn last night. Score was tied 12, either 12 to 12 or 13 to 13. Almost never was even tied after that. Zero lead changes in the entire game as Ole Miss moves to 12 and 2 on the year, 2 and 0 in the SEC. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, coming to you from the Renaissance Bank Studio. Glad to have you along on this Thursday afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Are you a farmer? If you are, then I hope you know about Mississippi Land Bank. If you don't, give me a listen just for a second. They've been financing land for over 100 years at Mississippi Land Bank. They know the farming business inside and out, and they understand that it's a business that is evolving constantly, that's changing, that's expensive. It's more expensive, and it's harder to be profitable as a farmer than it's ever been. And so you need a great partner in the land financing business. You need somebody that understands that sometimes you need to buy more land. Sometimes you need to refinance an existing loan. Everybody needs crop loans, and that equipment for the farm is really expensive. A Mississippi Land Bank can help you with all those things. Great rates, great financing options, great terms, but more than anything, great people. People that understand farming They understand the land financing business, and that's why at Mississippi Land Bank they say they know the lay of the land. If you're in North Mississippi, you're a farmer, give them a try. Um, This is an interesting story that has come out in the last couple of days from Major League Baseball. It's a story from Forbes. 
It begins by saying the bottom line for Major League Baseball continued to be strong in 2018, even as growth slowed compared with in previous years. For the 16th consecutive year, Major League Baseball saw record gross revenues. That means each year they have made more money on top of more money on top of more money. For 2018, baseball-related revenues were $10.3 billion. And that doesn't include another $2.5 billion on the sale of BAMTech, which was like a digital deal they sold to Disney. That was the deal where every team got like $50 million bucks. Wasn't that Wasn't that the, the cut for all the teams? Somewhere around there. Just kind of like free money. Uh, so the league passed the $10 billion threshold two years ago. Here's the crazy thing. Revenue related to attendance flat for 2018 because of a 4% drop in attendance. Pretty bad weather early. Marlins and Blue Jays, terrible crowds, and they had some accounting issues with how they um, that they counted that revenue. Attendance was down. Television revenue stayed the same. And there aren't any great big new deals kicking in. And sponsorship revenues were up. Since 1992, when Bud Selig took over as commissioner on a full-time basis, league gross revenue has grown 377%. So I'm going to ask you guys the question just for a second. Attendance is down. Ratings are either down or flat, but revenue is up. Why is that the case? Can this continue to be the case? And what does it mean for baseball going forward? Porky Rippy is thinking hard. I don't know if you're thinking hard also or not. I've been thinking hard for an hour. Um... It's probably, without having hard data, I would assume it's because the need and desire and profitability of live sports is at an all-time high because everything else is down in television across the board. And nobody offers more live sport than baseball. Okay. And because of that, they are able to demand more and and charge more and make more off of their games, their many games, many more than any other league that shows up on television. Okay. I've got a theory. Go ahead, Rippy. The MLB, they have 17 shared markets with NBA teams, and they outrate them in 14 of them when compared. Major League Baseball does. Not game by game, though. No. But they have more like, games, therefore they have larger viewership. That's that's the thing there. Well, is it that or is it ratings? Hey, here, here's what I would say. This is something that we've talked about before. Everybody wants to look at Major League Baseball and go, oh, people don't watch enough of this when you look at World Series ratings and total viewership. And it seems like the rest of the world just has trouble uh, has trouble wrapping its mind around a different model for success 
for Major League Baseball than you have for football, than you have for the NBA. It's just different, and different's okay. See, see, being different in a lot of people's minds is not okay. So, so what's one of the things that people debate all the time? What do we got to do nationally better for Major League Baseball? Got to do a better job marketing our stars. Everybody needs to know who Bryce Harper is. Every, you know, who, who's the guy that everybody can name? Here's what I mean by baseball is different. It's regional. It's local. If you're a Yankees fan, if you live in New York, you know everybody on the Yankees roster. If you're in Kansas City, you know everybody on the Kansas City roster. Cincinnati's been bad for forever. You spent last summer there. Don't most Cincinnati semi-sports fans know just about everything there is to know about the Cincinnati Reds? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, maybe maybe the fringe fans don't. They don't show up to watch them play. But they That's watch them on problem. television. And, and see, I, I guess that's what I'm getting at is it's okay that baseball is regional, that baseball is local. It's a business model that's working exceedingly well for the owners. It certainly is a different business model than the NFL. It's certainly a different business model than the NBA. But the idea that baseball is broken that is broken because it doesn't market its stars enough or because you don't have 50 million people that watch the World Series, that's a theory that's just gotten tired, and it's gotten old, and it's lazy. Because at the local level and at the regional level, baseball's not broken. People in Atlanta and across the Southeast that are Braves fans love the Braves. And if you got 150 games on television... There are a bunch of Braves fans that watch 100 of those games. People that are Cardinals fans love the Cardinals. People that are Cubs fans love the Cubs and watch their games. Do you think I'm off base on this, that, that, the, that the business model is just different for baseball and it's highly successful, but because it's different, people want to say that it's bad? It needs to be different. Because they you, can't you mean in a positive for, way? Yes, they can't compete for the same audience that the NBA has. They can't do it. Completely different. I mean, demographics even. It, they have to be different to be successful. If they, I still think they do a really poor job of marketing their stars nationally. I will always think that because they do a pretty poor job of marketing their stars nationally. But they cannot run the same that model matter? that the NBA does and be successful. So ultimately, no. Because revenues are still going up, obviously. It's something that, as a casual sports fan, I would like to know who the stars are in random places in baseball. They just don't tell me who they are, and they also have a problem with some of them can't speak the the native language in the United States. That's a smaller issue, but it's harder to market their stars, but they don't necessarily need to because they're going after a different demographic anyway. The NBA is going for national, and they have to promote their stars because... The demographic that cares more about basketball is not into teams or local loyalty. The Pelicans, for example, played the Cleveland Cavaliers in New Orleans last night. There were 6,000 people at the game. Nobody cared. Two Last year, two years ago, when the Cavs would go to New Orleans, the place would be sold out. LeBron jerseys everywhere. When the Lakers come to New Orleans here in a few weeks, the same thing will happen. 
fans in basketball chase stars more than they chase hometown team. Baseball fans chase hometown, and they don't chase stars. And it works. Largely. Keep making more money. Yeah, and here's the thing. I mean, the the idea of marketing your stars nationally, it doesn't work unless your stars play for the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the Cubs or maybe the Braves. And baseball is not set up that way either because your big star in baseball comes to bat, which lasts, what, three minutes, three times a game. I don't think it's that as much as, like, the game's best player plays in L.A.'s B-team market. Yeah. Interesting stuff. We'll switch gears coming up next. We're going to back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Brian Haydad will join us shortly, but right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Alcorn State Offensive Coordinator on the football staff, Ryan Stanchik. Ryan, appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Ryan played at West Virginia, and he's been uh, there in Lorman since, um, well, I guess five seasons now, and uh, it's a heck of a year for you guys this year. I know it didn't end exactly the way you would have liked, but it uh, had to have been a fun season. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Enjoy the show. Uh, yes, we had a tremendous year, um, and, and uh, you know, Alcorn State Parade Nation was, was was very fired up, and I wish we could have finished the deal, you know, finished the job there in the national title game, but but it was a very tremendous year, and we were excited. I'm just curious because we haven't had a chance to talk to you before. If you rewind to early December and go back to that locker room after the SWAC championship game, how good a feeling was that? How rewarding was that for this team? Oh, it was it was very rewarding, you know, especially since Coach Fred McNair. You know, we, we had some guys on staff that that uh, weren't with us, and, and Coach had to really rebuild a staff. And uh, we had four guys recruiting um, last December, last January. And, uh, you know, what, what we did as a group was was terrific, and it just goes to show you when everybody's rolling the right way. Um, and we ended up seeing a really good class, and it, it came to fruition this fall. And, uh, you know, we had, had, a, had a lot of turnover and, and and just had a tremendous season, you know, and, and Coach McNair led the way for us and, and, it, and it ended in a swap championship. Yeah, Fred McNair is certainly some, one of the good guys out there uh, in college football and in the state of Mississippi. Ryan Stanchik on your radio. He's the offensive coordinator at Alcorn State. The reason we're visiting this afternoon is because he played his college football at West Virginia for Rich Rodriguez. Four consecutive bowl wins, 48 consecutive starts on the offensive line, won the Sugar Bowl in 06, won the Fiesta Bowl in 08. When you win a bunch of games, it's a lot of fun. And I know you guys won a bunch of games in the four years there that, that you were on the O-line at West Virginia. Kind of take us back to, to Rich Rodriguez as your head coach and what Ole Miss is getting now in an offensive coordinator. Well, Coach Rod was, is, is tremendous. Um, I'm very excited for what he's going to do um, at Ole Miss. And, and for us, you know, we, we were kind of the land of the misfits. You know, Coach Rod uh, recruited all over the country. And his staff to to find us at West Virginia, and and uh, you know Pat White's our quarterback coach, and and uh, you know I always joke that he was four and zero in bowl games, and and I was four and zero too, you know. <laughs> and left tackle, but uh, no one no one knows the lineman right. But uh, but that's kind of what we stood for, you know. Uh, coach was was an extremely effective motivator, and 
you know, we we didn't have a lot of four and five star guys. We had two and three star guys that that he got to play like four and five star guys, and and uh, he would motivate you so well, you, you you'd want to do anything for him. Ryan, everybody knows about spread offenses. We see them all over the place and RPOs as, as a part of those and, and all the different versions. But a lot of the teams that are involved with those offenses are primarily passing teams. Rich Rodriguez's teams, and, and I know he's adapted some along the way, they've got the reputation for being teams that, that run the ball well. Uh, you guys ran it well this past year at Alcorn State. How much of, of what you learned from him offensively is reflected in what you're doing offensively at Alcorn? Uh, a good amount. You know, a good amount. You know, Coach Rod was one of the, the first guys to spread you out to run the ball. You know, kind of that spread option, people call it um, nowadays. And, and he's going to take what, what the defense gives him, and that's kind of what he taught us along the way. And, and uh, you always have to take what the defense gives you, and, and it's all about numbers and graph. You know, where, where's the defense at? Is, is there five guys, if you split the center down the middle, Where's their five guys? Where's their six guys? And at the end of the day, where's the grass? Because the sideline's another defender. Um, and it's kind of simple, but, you know, coach, coach goes fast, and he can also slow it down. And, and obviously he's adapted since we've been with him. Um, but he's exciting to watch, and his offense has been tremendous uh, along the way with uh, great quarterbacks, you know, each, each cycle. I, I was going to ask you what the most important position is in his offense. Now, you can't go with the homer pick and tell me offensive line. I understand. I, it's taken me a little while to come around, but I get that football games are won in the trenches, offensive line, defensive line. So so let's take that group out, and, and from a skill position standpoint, what's the most important position for his offense to have success? Well, I think in his offense and in, in any offense, it's always going to be your trigger man, your quarterback. Um, he's all, He's got the ball in his hands every single play. And his decisions are going to determine the outcome outcome of the game, you know. Um, so that's that's obvious to me. It's the quarterback, but um, and one of the intriguing things about Coach Rod being in Mississippi is the speed we have down here, and and the skill he's going to have at slot. Um, at West Virginia, we always had those those jitterbug slots, and and uh, you know I can't imagine what you guys have, you know. Miss, but uh, he he will do very well with the speed. Um, of the skill guys, and I can't wait to watch it. By the way, on the uh, C Spire text line, we get a message from uh, Ken, who is in Long Beach. So down in South Mississippi, he says, as a West Virginia boy, let's go Mountaineers. So he wanted to pass that along while we uh, were, were visiting this afternoon. Um, when when you think back to responsibilities, uh, in the offense. And I ask this because Phil Longo, the previ- previous offensive coordinator, talked a lot about the fact that he took some of the responsibility off the quarterback. He didn't want his quarterback to have to go to the line of scrimmage and, and make 12 decisions before the snap because they wanted to play fast. What was kind of the, the decision-making responsibility breakdown? How, how much of it was on the quarterback? How much of, of it was on the center? How much were the, the receivers kind of having to, to make decisions and adjustments on their own? I think that's a great question. You know, it, it comes down to as a play caller, um, and there's different ways to skin a cat, right? So, and, and there's a lot of successful guys out there. But it comes down to, do you want to put it on you and, and, and you change the play, or do you want to put it on that 18 to 22 year old kid? And and that's kind of, and sometimes when you're going fast, you, you, you put it on scheme. And sometimes when you slow it down, you want to put it on that guy. Um, so, you know, Coach Rod obviously does both methods. And both are tremendous, and he does a great job of, 
uh, dictating the pace. And that's one thing that I think he's done over the years. He dictates the pace. He doesn't let the defense dictate it. You know, he dictates it. And, and, and when we were rolling um, at West Virginia and Arizona for him and Michigan for him on offense, you know, it's he's dictated the pace. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think that will stop anytime soon. In a perfect world, from, from your perspective, would you like to have a quarterback that, that you feel is mature enough and, and competent enough in the offense to make all those decisions, or is that a hat that you want to wear? Uh, you know, I think you know. I think it depends on your personnel and what you do have, because um, you have to adapt. You know, every every good coordinator adapts to the, the personnel they have. Um, and you know, if it was a dream world, right, everybody would have Lamar Jackson or you know the Pat White type that can throw it well, um, because it just puts so much stress on the defense. And uh, you know that multiplicity of the quarterback position when when it's when you can take it down and run it, you just can't account for the quarterback. You know, it goes back to numbers. Um, and not every time, but you can do that on change-ups and third downs and, you know, short yardage. You see a lot of that um, in bowl season especially. Um, but I don't know if that answered your question great there, but that, that's sure. kind of what I, what I grew up in, what I would love. But, you know, it's also nice to have that quarterback who can pick you apart, who can read one, two to three. Um, and some guys can't. You know, some guys are one, two with you, which means run the ball. Um, so it's just different ways to do it, and, you know, they're all, they're, there's many successful ways. Ryan Stanchik's the offensive coordinator at Alcorn State. Wrapping up with him, um, I know from a success standpoint, you, you talked about the trigger man. It was funny when when Rich Rod's name was announced as as the new offensive coordinator. My first thought was, what if he's going to bring Pat White with him? <laughs> not, not not from I a coaching not. standpoint. He, he, he's no, no, be in a recruiting battle. I hope not. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, yeah, I don't mean from a coaching standpoint. I'm talking about from a player standpoint because when you got a guy like that, good grief. You you blocked for him for for that entire four years. What was it like, kind of kind of laying the groundwork for him? Well, he he was electrifying, you know, and, and he made you look really good as an offensive lineman. And you know, I was blessed to, to have him back there. And sometimes when you did miss a block, it wasn't a sack; it was a forty yard you know run. You know, so that always makes you look good. Um, you know, Pat's a Pat's a tremendous leader, man, and uh, we're very blessed to have him in all corn and. And uh, yeah, I think he's gonna he's gonna be a star in this business. Um, I think yeah. he, he he will, you know. So we're excited to have him and and uh, have him his first year coaching. Ryan, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Uh, nice insight uh, on your time with Rich Rodriguez. Wish you nothing but the best. Uh, see if we can get you back to that celebration bowl again next year. Thank you, guys. Go Braves. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. That's Ryan Stanchik, offensive coordinator, former offensive lineman at West Virginia. Coaching at uh, at Alcorn State. We are back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Rippy in the house, and now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Brian Haydad. Woo woo. Uh, probably could have used a little bit more from you than that. I thought you might have said, hello, hey guys, how you doing? You were, Did you see this story I you were today? I to everybody up. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Oh, no, just, uh, just a little, you know, change of pace on the introduction. What's up, man? Not much, man. Not much. Getting ready for some women's basketball tonight here in Starkville. Eight o'clock tip. I should, I, I should have taken a nap this afternoon. I'll be struggling when that one's over. Just drink a Red Bull. I, you know, 
my, my, you know, I'm a big guy, and I have treated my body pretty poorly through the years. I'm afraid if I drink a Red Bull, the ticker might just say, that's it. We're not going any further. So that's a no-go. You think with all that you've done to your body and your life, it's a Red Bull that would shut you down? You know, you don't want to introduce new things at this late juncture in life. Don't want to, you know, never had a Red Bull. Never had a Red Bull straight. Had it mixed with some things. You never drank a Red Bull? Just a, just cracked open a can of Red Bull and drank it? No, I have never done that. Have you done I've that with drink. any energy drink? No, I don't do I don't do energy drinks. No, that's not you for me. Try it. Give you wings. <laughs> Be some big wings to get me up off the ground. Yeah, <laughs> they make it in twenty four ounce cans. I mean, you can you can get one I, of the I big need the boy Orgeron cans. Size you can get the tall boy keg. The Give me the Coach post. O sized uh, barrel that I can just dive and swim in. Yeah. Um, so, what about tonight? How much will Mississippi State win by? <sighs> Georgia is good, but not great. I mean, if if I had to put a line on it, I don't. I'm sure there is a line that I don't know. They'll win by twenty plus, though. I would think. Big crowd tonight. Oh yeah, definitely. These eight o'clock tips. It's so weird because the crowd is so old. It's just an older crowd. And you would think 8 o'clock. I mean, that's prime Matlock time. They wouldn't make it. But they, they show up in force for these 8 o'clock tips. I can't decide if you were just complimentary to the majority of the crowd or derogatory to the majority of the crowd. Well, both. I get them, I, I get them and then I, I, you, know, you, you boost them up to bring them back. you gotta, you got to work both sides of that. That really actually is kind of an interesting dynamic. And, and if you look at the demographics of – Teams that draw well for women's basketball, you get some students, but yeah. it, it becomes more of a local or even a regional crowd, and mm-hmm. you do have retired folks who like sports, like basketball, like women's basketball there, but then you also get a lot of people with little kids too, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's The demographics of an MSU women's basketball game would be really interesting to see because how many students show kinds. up? They'll, they'll show up in force. You know, maybe not. There'll be a good student crowd for this game. Uh, when they play Ole Miss, when they play South Carolina here, they'll, they'll, you'll have big. You'll have student crowds comparable to what you would have for a big men's game. Say, you know, like this weekend. There is a uh, a big game coming up this weekend. Are the stakes raised even more for Ole Miss and Mississippi oh, yeah. State on Saturday because Ole Miss won last night? Big time. Big time. Because right now, if you lose that game, you're going to wake up on Monday morning and Ole Miss is going to be in the top in the polls ahead of you. That's going to happen if Ole Miss beats Mississippi State on Saturday. So, yeah, this State can't start 0-2. You, you cannot, after all the hype, after everything that's happened to this point, if you start off 0-2 in conference play, it, I mean, at the end of the day, they could turn it around and probably would turn it around, but gosh – it will be a miserable existence until you get to like six and two or something like that. And I'm not saying that you can do that. So, yeah. Um, but they could get past an O and two start. Like much stranger things have happened, right? Like I don't have their schedule in front of me, but O and two wouldn't be catastrophic, would it? Not catastrophic. I mean, they you know the next two games are Florida at home and then at Vanderbilt. Both of those games are they look somewhat winnable. Uh, then you go to Kentucky, but. It's just the it's just the the balloon, right? It's just you've hyped it up, and you, this is the year. State basketball is back. It's going to happen. Boom! Zero and two out of the gate in conference play. That's a bitter pill to swallow. Would, would it be 
amplified because it's Ole Miss, and, and yes, the expectations there's that, there's were that on. Too. Okay. Yeah, I mean, state fan, you never want to lose to Ole Miss. Never in any sport, you know, softball, golf, it doesn't matter. But in a year where you thought, hey, we're back, and oh, they're going to be down, and now it's it's Kermit Davis has turned that program around in one year, and you're sitting here in year four wondering, are we turned around yet or not? Yeah, that the Ole the the Ole Miss nature of this game amplifies what's what's happening. Well, and, and you mentioned a second ago that you know if Ole Miss were to win that game, then you wake up and on Monday morning you've got Ole Miss in the AP top twenty-five, and Mississippi State yeah. probably falls out of it. You even saw the movement, and and pretty fluid right now in the net rankings still at this juncture of the season, yeah. but a little surprising. If you rewind two weeks with where Mississippi State was in the net and where Ole Miss was, and now you look mm-hmm. and you see Ole Miss at 29 and Mississippi State at 33. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and Ole Miss, you know, would have two great wins, two top 25 wins in one week, and you're looking at Mississippi State and you think, okay, I guess their best win is Cincinnati, but, I mean, are they? I don't even know if Cincinnati ranked yet. They weren't with Oldland State played them. Uh, I don't know. So... State, State just has to find a way to win this basketball game. They just they, they, they sort of have to at this point. And like we, we talked about it yesterday, you know, January twelfth uh, is really early to use the word "must win," yeah. but I mean it's it's trending that way. And, and Ole Miss winning last night is definitely a part. If Ole Miss had lost last night, you could say, all right, you know, it's 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 going to be okay. But now it looks like they have all this momentum, and they're going. They're, they're, Ole Miss is going to be ranked, I think, regardless of the the outcome on Saturday. They'll at least be twenty fifth, twenty fourth. But, you know, they beat Mississippi State, and they're probably going to be 18th or 19th, and State's gonna, if State stays in the poll, which I think they would, but State's going to be 23rd, 24th, 25th. And so it's this incredible you know, situation that nobody, nobody was predicting uh, a few months ago. Sports Talk Mississippi online, streaming at supertalk.fm. You can uh, text the show, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. Is your phone a little rough around the edges? Finally, there's a single place you can trust for all your phone repairs, C Spire. C Spire stores from Brandon to Tupelo are now certified phone repair locations. They can fix any problem on any device from any carrier, in most cases while you wait. So stop by today, C Spire, customer inspired. You hesitated just for a second. You were looking at the schedule. You mentioned Florida and Vanderbilt, and you go, "Yeah, those are good, yeah, kind well, of I mean, winnable games." If you can't games. beat South Carolina, how am I going to say anything else is a guaranteed win? Well, I mean, where I was going I, with that though is those just on the surface, based on the results we've seen so far, look like much more winnable games than the than game on Saturday. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, Florida, they got the win last night against Arkansas, but they have not been impressive at all this year. And uh and Vanderbilt, I mean, they they they're just they're just floundering out there right now. Losing uh I can't remember his name, the the, the you know who I'm talking Darius about. Darius Garland. Who, yeah, Garland. Uh, it's like I think is his first name Garland, I couldn't remember. And uh but losing him is just it's just set them adrift. And they can't seem to be able to get anything going. And it, it's tough to win at, at Vanderbilt, obviously, with that crazy gym up there. But Ole Miss did it. Uh, so, you know, State needs to find a way to win those. State needs to be 3-1 and one next Saturday. I mean, that's just as simple as you can put it. They really do need to be 3-1. and one. With what you said, with the importance of Saturday for Mississippi State, with the fact that Ole Miss is playing well, it's off to a good start, it's getting some publicity, 
The hump is packed to the gills on Saturday, right? Like like spilling out of the rafters? Or am I misreading that? You know, I, I, I think it's going to be a big crowd because it's been set up as such. And we've been talking about it for a few weeks. My only concern is were there are people who were on the fence who after Tuesday watched State lose and went, eh, maybe not. I don't think that's going to be a big case. I think it'll be a big crowd. You know, will it be 10,000-plus? I don't know, but I think you'll have between 8 and 10 on, uh, on Saturday. Um, I just can't get out of my mind. A Saturday in Starkville, the, the infamous Rick Stansberry choke gets thrown out, goes and has oh, man, to... Oh, what a day that was. He has to suck in the, the Ron Polk cigar smoke for the rest of the game in, in Polk's office while they're watching the game. Polk and had that's a great the quote. image. Did you, do you know it? Do what? Polk had a great quote about that too. Do you know it? No. What did he say? He said Rick was in there and he was just steaming hot, and Ron just looked at him and said, "Why are you getting so upset? I get thrown out all the time." <laughs> it feels like it's a little bit different in uh, baseball and basketball, it does, doesn't it? Does, it? Yeah. Um, but that's that's still the image of what Humphrey Coliseum. Could look like, could feel yeah. like. That place that, was yeah. jam-packed to the gills and deafening that day. That's the it's closest. just hard for me to wrap my mind around why it wouldn't be like that on Saturday. That is the closest I've ever felt at a basketball game that I was at an Egg Bowl. That the, the intensity was... When Stansbury got tossed, hmm. the state crowd wanted blood. And they got it that day, too. A state rolled Ole Miss that day. Um, it was, what's funny is Ole Miss, I think, was winning when Stansbury got tossed. Yeah. It quickly turned around uh, for him. So, yeah. More coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Hey, so isn't there a line out there, something about um, your, your, your big, I'm not sure what the animal is. Your big elephant mouth writing checks that your hummingbird butt can't cash. What what's that what's that cliche? Alligator is the word. Alligator, alligator mouth? Your alligator mouth writing a, a check your chicken can't cash. No, it's a hummingbird. I, I've always heard chicken, but Fair enough. You get the idea. Yeah. So does Tate Martell at Ohio State have a hummingbird rear end? <laughs> There's something to be said for that, man. So, so this guy, who, by the way, didn't beat out Dwayne Haskins with good reason to be the starting quarterback this past year at Ohio State, tweets at Justin Fields, don't make the same mistake twice. We all looked at that and we thought, what a brash comment. That's a guy with a whole lot of confidence. But was that tweet just false bravado? As in, don't make the same mistake twice. No, really, please, don't come here. Please. Tate Martell has put his name into the transfer portal. He's out. I mean, I don't... I don't there's no other way to look at it, is there? He obviously, you know... Talked a little trash, and it came back to bite him. And that's a little – isn't that – this is one – you know, I'm normally – normally the kid wants to transfer, feels like he's not getting a fair shake, however you want to put it. 
I, I don't have a problem with it. You know, live your life, young man. You only get one. But this mm-hmm. is one like, so you're just throwing the white flag. I mean, Fields is going to come in and you don't have any faith in your ability to beat him out. It's one thing if there's an upperclassman who's been in the system and you can't, you know, like Haskins had. That's what Joe Burrow did. Joe Burrow's like, hey, well, I can't beat him out. I got to go. But this is a kid coming in. Fields got no experience in your system. You have two years of experience. You're, you're that unconfident in your own abilities to win the job? Good luck. Good luck. But Joe Burrow. But hold on. Joe Burrow was also a graduate. Right. No, I mean, no so, I'm not. You know, Burrow left. If Burrow was going to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State, he would have stayed. But he wasn't, so he left. And I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. But Martell, this, this just feels like, to me anyway, that he, he just doesn't have any faith in his own ability to beat out Justin Fields. Tate Martell was a heavily recruited player. He may have been the top dual threat his senior year. I have to go back and look. I know he was in the top five. And he's just, he's just walking out well, of it. So, okay, well, that's surprising. you got to remind me on what the deal was. Rippy, you may remember also on Tate Martell's recruiting. He, did he recruit, uh, commit to multiple schools and kind of turned his whole recruiting into like this big drama thing? Hey, look at me, look at me. Ultimately goes to Ohio State, talks a big game, and then hadn't seen the field? Really? Is that a fair summary? I know he, I know he was committed to Texas A&M at one point. Um, and then beyond, before that, he what? I want to say he was committed somewhere else. I'd have to go back and look before Texas A&M. I, I, I don't remember who it was though. So okay, so he committed to A&M in 2015. Yeah, he was committed to Washington, so he committed to three different schools. Okay, uh, and we had somebody that texted said, "Look, Tate Martell's a spoiled kid. Comes from a family with money. That's why the way he is." See, I don't, I don't buy into that. I don't think just because you come from a family with money means you're spoiled. I think you have families that have money and families that don't have money who raise their kids in a certain way to be who they are. Yeah. So I'm not letting his parents off the hook for the way that he acts, but I'm not saying it's because he grows up in a family with money. Uh, my next question, though, is because seemingly every major quarterback that is transferring from his current school to somewhere has been mentioned with regard to Mississippi State is Tate Martell now on the radar for Joe Moorhead in Mississippi State? One thing to remember about this this transfer talk is Kelly Bryant. You know, he he visited campus and all that. The, the, these last couple of days, and we talked about Brandon Wimbush yesterday. We talked about uh, Shane Buchel, and now we're talking about Tate Martell. It's just been you know rumor mill so far. Now, obviously, that's how the Kelly Bryant stuff started. Well, but, you brought up you, know, you brought up Jalen Hurts too. Well, Jalen Hurts, yeah, I mean. To me, that would be the the, the best. He's got to be number one on, on what is now really a free agent market uh, for quarterbacks. But I mean, we haven't heard anything from Moorhead. None of these guys have visited yet, and, and we don't know that they're they're still actively seeking a transfer. I would think they are because if they went after Kelly Bryant, who's you know a good player, why would you not continue to look? So we'll see. We'll see if they're if they're just going to stay pat with Keaton and the rest, or are they going to? Uh, I'm going to go after one of these guys. Tate Martell would definitely be a guy to look at, though. Yeah. All right. Interesting news coming up yesterday. Thanks, or coming yesterday afternoon, thanks to a report from the San Francisco Chronicle. And there's a player that is leaving Mississippi State in the football fold. We will get to that coming up next for the College Football Fix. 
presented by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Five o'clock on a Thursday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad. Got everybody in the house today. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Thinking about building a house? Like a, a dream house on a piece of property? Or you've already got the piece of property and you want to add a shop, maybe one of those metal buildings or an actual barn, or maybe even put a cabin on a piece of land. Now, Mississippi Land Bank can help with all of those things. They've been, they've been helping people finance land and things related to land for a really long time, like over 100 years. They can help you as well. You can find a branch location near you in North Mississippi online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Tomorrow on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear in an interview with acclaimed musician Bruce Levingston. That'll be a cool conversation. Bruce is one of the most talented concert pianists that you will hear anywhere, anytime. I think he's about to do a, uh, a series of shows in London, like maybe 10 of them. All of them are sold out. Um, Bruce from the uh, from the Mississippi Delta has played every major concert hall you can think of in the United States and a whole bunch around the world and uh, all around good dude. So in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, conversation with Bruce Levingston, Thursdays and Fridays, 1 to 2 on most Super Talk stations. It's now on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. All right, how about a little college football fix? College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can also find out about all the other great cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs that they've got to offer at Ford Test Drive 1 at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. All right, hey, Dad, what's the story here? Birmingham native Keith Mixon transferring away from Mississippi State, UAB, one of the potential landing spots for the uh, the wide receiver. Uh, started as a redshirt sophomore a year ago. Uh, primary punt returner, I guess, starting this season. Limited role in the offense. Replaces the punt returner halfway through the year. Uh, what, 10 catches, 137 yards, two touchdowns, and he's ready to do something else. Yeah, uh, didn't come to the bowl game either, which, uh, you know, that's mm. sort of the telltale sign that he wasn't going to be uh, part of this program for much longer. And, right, just basically fell behind the other two guys, uh, Dedrick Thomas and Austin Williams there in the slot. Uh, you know, a little undersized, you know, five foot eight, but a very explosive player when the ball was in his hands. Was really good in 2017 before he he started having some nagging injuries. Uh, but he had a, he had a big game against LSU in 2017. Had the touchdown catch that broke that wide open, and, and you know had some flashes there where you thought, okay, he could be a pretty good uh, receiver. I, th- I thought he was a pretty good receiver when he was healthy, uh, but for whatever reason, just could not find his way in, in the new offense, and then now he'll head on out. Um, you know, for MSU. I mean, obviously, wide receiver is, is a huge position of need in this recruiting cycle, and they need their guys to step up, the ones that, that remain on campus. So, you know, we'll see. Is this a loss? Um, 
yes and no. I think that he had a, a, a he had potential, but he had never really shown it. And I, th- I think he could have been good, but for whatever reason, it just it just never clicked for him here. So, but I do think at UAB and Conference USA, he can be a, a really valuable player. Yeah. Um, you know, di- different kind of overall level of player that he'll be facing, and get into a Bill Clark offense. You've got uh, playmaker. I mean, if if he's doing things the way he should be able to, would that be a good way to describe him? Yeah, I mean, he's a quick player, got a lot of elusiveness. He's a guy that in the open field can be dangerous. Was and that's why he was good as a kick returner and as a punt returner. Um, you know, one of those guys that you want to create plays for him. It, where he can catch the ball in space and then use his quickness to get free, um, you know he's you know just only five foot eight and you know buck seventy or whatever. So you're not not going to be a guy that you consistently send over the middle and not and not much of a deep threat even with his speed because of his size. You know bigger corners and safeties can eat him up, but he can do a lot of things in the right offense. You know can also give you some uh, some touches in the running game. I uh, can take some of those jet sweeps and those end rounds and, and turn those into big plays. So, like I said, a, a quality player and in the right offense, I think he'll, he'll do pretty well. So Keith Mixon leaving Mississippi State. Another guy who can't quite make up his mind what he wants to do, the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Kyler Murray. Really good story from Susan Slusser yesterday at the San Francisco Chronicle that says the Oakland Athletics expect Heisman Trophy winner Kyler Murray team's top pick in June, to declare for the NFL draft on Sunday. Declaring for the draft does not guarantee that Murray, who is an outfielder, was at Oklahoma, and it's what Oakland was planning him to do. They compared him to Ricky Henderson already. Um, Took him with the ninth pick overall. Doesn't guarantee that Kyler Murray will decide to reject the $4.66 million deal with the A's outright. But it certainly increases the chances that Oklahoma's quarterback will decide to go pro in football rather than baseball. Is this a done deal? You think? It sure feels like it. Sure feels like it. But I, it's one that baffles me. I, I really am surprised to, to see this happening. That you have an idea to be, you know, a chance to be a a, a baseball first round pick, probably fast track to the major leagues where there's guaranteed huge contracts and nobody is trying to hunt you down and murder you over the field, and you're going to go with football. I figuratively, mean, of course. Um, figuratively. Because uh, that would be a penalty. Uh, yeah, so I, would, uh, I, would, I am very surprised, very surprised to see him go this route. But at the same time, only 66% of first-round picks actually make the major leagues. And as you know, as soon as you're drafted in the in NFL draft, that's a four-year guaranteed contract. Is it fully guaranteed? I guess not fully guaranteed, but you get yeah. my points. Four years, you're getting paid, and you're. I mean, there's no chance of you not never making it. Like, there's a better I mean, chance I, I, for I, another contract. I get what you're saying. I think Murray was talented enough that I, I felt pretty confident in his ability to get to the majors, and. You know, that, to get that big second contract, you know, because that's where real money comes. It's in your second contract. So, and, and the lack, you know, you, you don't have to take the physical beating that you're going to take. I mean, especially with Murray, who's a guy who, I mean, great passer, but people are going to want to, you know, see him run the football uh, out of the quarterback position. So you're going to take some hits. And I'm, I'm, I'm just surprised. You know, well, that that, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, if he goes to the NFL, are you drafting him to be a 
quote-unquote dual-threat quarterback. I, I don't feel like anybody really gets drafted with that being the plan going in because you got a history of that not working very right. well. I mean, you have to you have to take into account that 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 skill set, and you have to. I mean, you're not drafting him and saying we're going to put this five foot ten guy in the pocket and let him play like Tom Brady. You know, you you, you want to take advantage of his athleticism because that's what makes makes him dangerous. So, did you see the quote from uh, Cliff Kingsbury that they drug up about this? Yes, that they, he said I would take him with the first pick in the draft when he was coaching at Texas Tech. Well, buddy, have I got an opportunity for you? Can you imagine a scenario where Arizona trades away Josh Rosen and takes Kyler Murray? I mean, I know that uh, Arizona said that there no chance of that happening, but you and I both know that in the NFL, nothing nothing means never. Never is you never say never. So, I mean, if somebody comes with the right offer and they've got the first pick and they believe, and Cliff Kingsbury truly believes that he can be a franchise quarterback then Josh Rose is going to be playing somewhere else. No question about it. But you're not taking Kyler Murray with the number one overall pick, are you? I'm not. Brian Haydad's not, but we'll see. You know, we'll put Cliff Kingsbury's words to the test there. I mean, you, I mean if, you're, if you're Arizona, you're trading down, right? You're, I mean, you're trading away you the like number one pick. Murray? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you can get for Rosen, I guess. So, I mean... I don't know. I don't know how that would work. No, but I would, would say those are two those are two separate transactions in my mind. I mean, I guess you could bundle it all together if you wanted to, but you could trade Josh Rosen because there would be teams lining up for him because they loved him. Mm-hmm. Um the and, and get something in return well. for him and then could also trade away the first pick for two first rounders, two first round picks. Do you, do you think the Giants would get back in the in the in the bidding for that? They, they, you know, Rosen was a candidate for them last year. Interesting thought. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question comes down to: Do you believe that you have more of a franchise quarterback in Josh Rosen or Kyler Murray? Yeah. You know, the size comparison for Kyler Murray, the the two comparisons that are inevitably going to come up are Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, and really he's smaller than or shorter than both of those guys. Yeah. But those are probably the most fair comparisons. If you believe you were getting either of those guys, then maybe you do it. I don't know. That's your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Continuing on this Thursday afternoon in Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. The authority figure has left, so it's time to have some fun now. No more Richard Cross. He's off calling Ole Miss women's basketball tonight for television, so uh, I don't know what to do with my hands here. (laughs) I I didn't know this was coming. This is exciting. Yeah, I didn't know either, but I, I'm certainly glad it did. Um, good to be with you this afternoon. A few texts. We'll continue on this Kyler Murray thing for right now. And then Hunter Renfro, not the baseball Hunter Renfro, but the guy that's played for Clemson for like two decades and is everybody's favorite walk-on story, had a, we'll call it, it was a straight-up jab at Alabama uh, in a media opportunity recently. We'll get to that in a second, but a few he texts. disrespected the Tide? He board? disrespected the Tide. He, there's no fear of Alabama anymore. Um, 
We get a text here that says if he was smart talking about Kyler Murray, he would go play for the A's. He doesn't have the makeup of a traditional NFL quarterback. When I saw this news, my my first thought was, man, this kid's crazy, right? Because he may very well go in the first round of the football draft and, and ultimately do whatever you want to do. If somebody wants to pay you to play football and you'd rather play football, go for it, man. But the longevity of Kyler Murray in the NFL, even though, as Rippey said, two-thirds of baseball players actually make the show, whereas every draftee makes the NFL, with the league in its current state, where 28 teams have their franchise quarterback right now on roster, and you are not a prototypical NFL quarterback, Yes, you will get more guaranteed money right now. Yes, when you get drafted, you will be on a roster on day one. But the future for Kyler Murray playing a professional sport, I think, lies more with baseball from a longevity of career standpoint than I do football. He's undersized. He's he's a supreme athlete, but he's undersized. And there's not that many teams that really need a quarterback anyway. And... You'll see it with Lamar Jackson. The the track record is there that if you use a quarterback like a dual-threat quarterback, with few exceptions, it doesn't work long-term in the NFL. So it's not my decision. It's his decision. But if it were me, baseball has the better chance for Kyler Murray to be the chronic professional career, whereas football, I think, can end for him very quickly, if that makes sense. To be fair, he's a much better thrower than Lamar Jackson. Like, he is. I, I think that, he could play he in the NFL. Is. I think he could play in the NFL. I think he could start for a team for I don't know necessarily know how many years. And you're right, he is a small guy. He's five nine. You know, runs around. Probably going to take a lot of hits. I get the longevity thing, but if like if you're in his shoes and you have a chance to probably. I mean, don't you think if he declares for the NFL draft and just says, this is what I'm doing, he gets drafted in the first round somewhere? Like, don't you think someone drafts him? Somebody will, yeah. Yeah, somebody so, will. So he's a first-round pick. He's immediately, like, in the spotlight, immediately playing, you know, big-time professional football. Like, to me, all of that, I get the longevity thing, but that seems more, like, a long, like having a long career in baseball is not guaranteed either, and I get the odds are probably better, but like you get to do that immediately as versus taking you know thirteen hour bus rides twice a week in single A baseball for four or five years. Not that he'd be in single A for four or five years, but you get my point in the minor leagues. And he he could be, but most people expect him to not be living that lifestyle for very long, but he wouldn't be the first guy that was a first-round pick or a high-round pick that everybody thought was going to be in the majors in a heartbeat and ended up not going to the majors in a heartbeat. And he's a... Dansby Swanson had to play... He played for the Mississippi Braves right up the road from where I sit right now. I mean, it's... he Even though he rose quickly, he still had to do what you said. He had to live the life of, of bus rides and and foster parents or what what do, what do they call them not foster parents that was a, a bad term um what? no what do they call them um we're adopting minor league no, mi- minor, yes they do minor league baseball players live with um live with people they they will like rent out their basement and stuff uh gosh host families that's what they're called 
They, they, they live in the basement. They're bloggers. That's the word you're looking for. <laughs> no, a, uh, a friend of mine from high school got picked by the Red Sox in 09 in like the fourth round. Um, and he actually played for the, Missis- uh, for the Mississippi Braves for a brief time. Uh, he, he played for L.A. and then played for Atlanta for a year. Ended up making the show in, in, with two different organizations. But when he lived here in Mississippi, he lived in a house on the reservoir with a family that the team hooked their player him up with. And there are families that sign up to be host families of minor league baseball players. So he doesn't have to pay rent or anything like that. They, they live with people. It's like having parents but no chores. Basically, yeah. I mean, he lived in their basement, and they let him use their boat whenever they want or whenever he wanted. And it was a, it was a pretty sweet life he had living here for a while. But my point being is, I I mean, I get the longevity argument, but he's a five eleven right handed outfielder. I mean, it just I don't know. I I, I but could, in the same I, token, he's a five eleven quarterback. You know, where, where height matters he, more. He's probably not even 5'11", right? He's probably Is closer what, to 5'10". If they list him at 5'11", he's not 5'11". Baseball America lists him at 5'11", so that's probably with some pretty long spikes on. <laughs> George from Rest Point says, uh, Richard who? That's my man. That's my man, George, right there. Uh, Jeffrey in Tupelo, is he really 5'10"? He looks a lot shorter, according to Jeffrey. It, it's also... It, it's different on a baseball field, where in college he's standing behind a bunch of six foot five, six foot six, three hundred and fifty pound offensive linemen. So even though yes, he is a shorter quarterback, it's pronounced because of who he's standing next to every play. I just, I just feel like you know we, we both we all agree that you know it's not a it's not guaranteed that you're going to have a long career in football. It's not guaranteed that you're going to have a long career in baseball. But if you do have a long career in either one, you make more money in baseball, and your body is better served by it. I, I would just stick with baseball. I wonder if it's at all possible to do both. It just, it, I mean, it just seems difficult. You know, the the the, the Bo Jackson Deion Sanders thing. I, I don't know. I just don't know if they're going to do that, especially when you, you know he's going to try or at least inquire. Yeah. Do you think try. part oh, of this try. is a? Do you think part of this is like like do you remember even when you were in like junior high or maybe even younger than that, like a kid where you like you're in season for one sport and you think that's the sport you like like the most, and then you get back into like the routine of another one and you think that's the one you like the most. Like, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. Like, that do you makes think sense. it's just kind of from? You know, having, I'm sure it was a heck of a lot of fun having as much success as he did on a football field. But do you think that opinion will change? I don't know his schedule. I'm assuming he's not planning to, I mean, obviously he's probably not planning to play baseball at Oklahoma again. But when he starts getting in the back to baseball routine, Can't if play his Can't opinion play changes. Again. Yeah, I guess that's true. He's pro baseball player now. And, you know, you think um, about him last year, he got injured in baseball and he didn't play in the, uh, the, the tournament last year. You know, the NCAA regionals, state played Oklahoma. Kyler Murley never saw the field. Brian and Clarksdale thinks he's bluffing. I don't know. He could be, but bluffing how? Is that trying? Maybe trying to get a little bit more. I mean, I don't. That's the problem with the with MLB, right? Because everything's sort of slotted. It's not like Oakland can come in and say, "Okay, uh, we're going to give you another, uh, you know, five million dollars not to play football." Yeah, I mean, or, or just make them guarantee he he plays in the majors i don't know i mean he's going to major league camp if he ends up playing baseball anyway i don't know to to 
I don't know what there is to bluff, right? Like, the only thing the athletics are going to do is, hey, give us our money back. Like, there is no there is no sweetening <laughs> the deal it? on there. Hey, there's the next question. Do you think Kyler Murray still has all of his signing bonus intact? I would have I zero would... of it. <laughs> I, I would have some, hopefully. But, yeah, he, he definitely bought a few things, I would imagine. Can you imagine being a college student and being a multimillionaire? Uh, I, I don't know. I cannot. I mean, I'm sure Eli Manning could. I mean, there are a few uh, people, I'm sure, out there. Based on the cars and the parking lots of college campuses I've been to, there are some people that feel that way. No, no, no. Those people are not multimillionaires. <laughs> oh, yeah. but Their they get, parents are. They, they get mom and dad's unlimited credit card, yeah. and they live like who, kings who, until... Who is out there that's actually a multimillionaire at 21? Anybody that plays for Alabama. Oh. Oh. oh, I'm just kidding. Speaking of that, this Hunter Renfro quote, we'll get to it, I promise. The, the Clemson walk-on wide receiver said this, quote, Coach Sweeney has built it on fun, and obviously Coach Saban has built it on a process. I'm just proud to be at a place like Clemson where I feel like we've done it the right way. We're supposed to have only five guys on the field as coaches. We're making sure we have five. We do it the right way, and we have fun doing it. Butch Jones, if you didn't know was recorded coaching on the sidelines during the playoffs and his role did not allow him to do so. Luke Johnson next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.